Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Erner Barry's Market Digest. Here with me, I have Mike Ramsing from Seafood News, who is also working on the Seafood News podcast, and we're going to do a bit of a crossover episode today and talk about what's going on in that sector. How's everything going, Mike? Hey Adam, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So why don't you let the listeners know a little bit about what is going on at seafoodnews.com and uh, why you're here with us today. Sure. So Adam's been doing a really great job on the Erner Berry side of things, uh, producing the podcast uh, and distributing it that way. And we feel that it would be a better approach to producing the Seafood News podcast if if Adam took over the duties of hosting. That way I could focus a little bit more on, on researching the content. That way Adam and I can then go back and forth on, on some issues and, and some market matters that are you know, impacting the seafood world and, and hopefully deliver a, a good podcast, uh, not just to the seafood news audience, but also to the Erner Barry audience. Yeah, absolutely. And both of these podcasts are available to all Erner Barry and seafood news subscribers. You can pull them up on your phone, iTunes, Google Play, however you get your podcasts and listen in every week. Mike's definitely going to be on as a contributor, but we're also going to try to get on some of the Erner Barry seafood reporters to get a little bit deeper into some specific markets as this develops. So, Mike, we look forward to having you on for episodes like that. I'm excited that we're doing this, Adam. Thanks. Perfect, perfect. So let's start with the first topic here that I have on the agenda. Red Lobster announced this week that they're going to feature wild-caught shrimp on their menu for the holiday season. And it's my understanding that this is the first time in a few years that they have promoted wild-caught shrimp. So what kind of product are they using on this menu, and, and to what can we attribute this change? That's right. Red Lobster did announce that they will be featuring a a wild-caught red shrimp. The, the shrimp is actually sourced from Argentina. It's a more of a unique wild-caught shrimp in, in the U.S. market. The U.S. Uh, market generally imports a lot of farmed Asian shrimp, farmed Latin American shrimp from Ecuador. But in this case, Red Lobster is going to be featuring a wild-caught shrimp from Argentina. And, and that's significant. Like you said before, it's, it's the first time in several years that Red Lobster has, has brought this item to the menu. Uh, and it's in time for the holiday season, which is important in its own right because, you know, as you know, or as our listeners probably know, uh, the holiday season generally tends to generate more, more restaurant traffic, you know, given holiday shopping and, and traveling and, and things like that. So it stands to reason that wild caught shrimp uh, at Red Lobster should see some, some robust sales this holiday season. Yeah, it's interesting to see too, not just on the sales figures, but also on foreign trade data where you can look at imported data for all the different seafood items. We were actually looking at the import figures for wild-caught shrimp from Argentina, and those imports are up about 150% this year compared with last year. So that's a pretty dramatic difference, I would imagine. It is, and that just goes to show that this item, at least this year, uh, has certainly picked up a lot of interest uh, in the U.S. market. And we've also heard reports that you know, the item is also selling very well in the Chinese market. So whatever the Argentinians are doing or however that, that word's getting out there, uh, red shrimp has definitely been a popular item this year. Yeah, we're definitely going to stay tuned and, and look at not just the Argentine shrimp, but also a lot of different shrimp markets. So we'll come back to that. I want to move on to the next item here on the agenda. Now, it seems like, and you and I kind of have a joke about this around the office a little bit. If it's not one country, it's another. There's always some kind of a strike going on. Always. And so we got Iceland now where the fishermen have walked off the job. 
but they went back out on the water after inking a new agreement with the processors. So mm-hmm. what, what was the story behind that strike, and, and was it hard to get them back together, or was it a pretty straightforward, orderly thing? It was an interesting situation. It, it, it first developed right around Veterans Day, uh, November 11th, where we, well, it started a little bit before that, but it, it really became evident that Iceland's fishermen were going were gonna to go on strike uh, you know, into that weekend. And in fact, they did. About 3,500 fishermen did go on strike over that weekend. But by the time we all got back into the office on Monday, half of them had already gotten back onto the boats. This has been a long-running issue in Iceland. The fishermen and the processors have been at odds for several years over several matters, mostly related to wages and fair working conditions. There was one glaring issue between the price that fishermen were being paid for fish at auction versus the price for fish that was being paid not at auction. The matters kind of got into a point where the processors and the fishermen couldn't come to an agreement on a, on a labor deal, and sure enough, they, they walked off over the weekend, but they quickly were able to kind of come to terms to a two-year agreement where fishermen were able to get some of the demands that they wanted, and you know they, they were able to get back out into the water this week. It was, it was a quick, quick strike. And that's interesting. I, I have in my notes here as well that when this strike was just getting started, people were concerned that this was going to affect the availability of fresh cod shipments. Uh, sure. So can we infer now, now that this strike is over, that at this time there's basically uh, a little bit of normality coming to the cod market, that we shouldn't expect any disruption? While this was all going on, uh, the, the the fear was that particularly in the U.S. market, uh, fresh cod shipments are going to be impacted. We've been tracking, obviously, through foreign trade data uh, that shipments of uh, fresh cod from Iceland to the U.S. market were up about 40% this year to 7 million pounds, which is a good thing. That's good for the market here in the U.S. A lot of that demand we saw was being uh, brought in by the East Coast. And yes, the fear was that if Iceland was going to be on a prolonged strike, that production would be impacted. The way that the East Coast tends to buy cod is through weekly air shipments. So it stood to reason that if the fishermen weren't going to be out in the water fishing, then there would be a lack of cod available to U.S. buyers. But given that they've settled the matter this week, there's really been no word of, of a market disruption at all. Well, that's great. It's wonderful to hear that that was worked out so quickly. That's definitely not always the case with some of these strikes, as we've seen before. So great to hear that. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the next subject here. West Coast Dungeness Crab. Crab's been a pretty dynamic story this year. And now it looks like we're just getting back into another Dungeness Crab season in California. Just started back up in the water south of Point Race. And apparently this is a change from last year where we had that toxic domoic acid, Mm -hmm. uh, which caused a three-month delay. So you mentioned in the conversation we had before the podcast that they're waiting on some tests. But I guess based on the notes I have here that things are a little more optimistic. What happened here, this has been an ongoing situation in the West Coast, Dungeness Crab Fishery. Essentially, you know, what I can do is set up the situation. What happened last year was... Uh, there was very warm water in the Pacific. And, and what happened was the warm water then created an algae bloom that then produced a, a toxic uh, substance you know, known as domoic acid. Levels of this uh, acid got so high that it surpassed federal limits for whether or not the crabs could be consumed by consumers in general. What federal and state officials had to do is they had to delay the, the start of the crab season last year in, in Washington, Oregon, and California, past the holiday season in, into into March. Um, this year, however, 
uh, those toxic domoic acid levels are not the same. They're, they're far lower, below the threshold that would force a delay, which is great news for the Dungeness craft fishermen this year. California, they are out fishing on the water. We are hearing early reports that uh, the crabs are coming in big and they look good, which is, again, positive for holiday sales uh, heading into the Thanksgiving and, and Christmas holidays. Uh, and, and there should be availability of live crab now for the Chinese market. Right now in, in Oregon and Washington, that they are still waiting for testing to come back to show what the levels of domoic acid are in the crab. But right now what we're hearing are positive indications that the, the acid levels in, in the Pacific, at least in Oregon and Washington waters, are low enough where fisheries should start on time there December 1st. Well, that's some really great news, especially for people that were out there trying to get crab last year. Maybe they'll sleep a little better this year knowing that things are off to a good start. That is the hope. Well, I want to jump across the country for the next segment. I have on here that scallop landings in New England are making a little bit of noise here. So we're getting word that some fishery managers in New England are trying to look for a little more stability with this plan that's going to reduce some pressure on the local population of scallops in some open areas and provide for some more trips to those rotationally closed areas. So for people like me that don't understand some of those fishing terms like rotationally closed and things like that, what exactly is going on politically, I guess would be the word for it, as far as these New England scallop landings? Really, uh, what, what the managers wanted to do was, was just kind of give a, a year for, for stability in the landings. And what they did was they preserved the landing count to around 47 million pounds, which is just marginally higher over last year. To a year ago, landings were raised about 30% from 2015 levels. So this year, they just kind of maintained those existing levels. It appears that, you know, the fishery performed very well last year at those levels. They're going to continue to do that again this year. When it comes to the rotational closed areas and, and, and open areas, it's really just a lot of jargon how the fishery is managed. Um, it depends on, you know, what kind of, what fleet they're operating at and, and under what permits they're operating at. But really what we want to emphasize here is, is the, the quotas are, are essentially going to be the same this year. You know, the season will start around March 1st, 2017. And what we want to make note of is this is going to be the last year for this fishery to start in March. Federal and state officials agreed earlier this year to push back the start to the season to April 1st, in fact. They did this in an effort to give both federal scientists and third-party stock assessors more time to gather data on the stock population so that they can make a determination for the season's landings going forward. That one-month delay to the fishery is expected to start 2018. So the fishery will then start on April 1st. And it says here they're projecting that the 2017 season's going to be about 47 million pounds of scallop. I mean, that's that sounds like a lot of scallop to me. It looks like it's a little higher than last year. Is that does that sound like a historically normal number to you, or are we looking at a situation where it's going to come in below normal, above normal? It's hard to make any kind of projections. We try to stick to what the science says. It's a pretty healthy number. But given that the scallop market right now is trending at all-time highs, we're, we're looking at north of $20 per pound, according to Ernerberry numbers. Right now, we're, we don't have much indication to think that the market's going to ease right now. But, you know, you never really know how these things are going to, you know, going to work out. It depends on how Japanese production will trend. It depends on how Chinese production is going to trend. It's kind of just a wait-and-see approach at this point. Yeah, and with that market at all-time highs, as you said, we're definitely going to keep our eyes on how that season unfolds in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Well, the last topic on the agenda here, I wanted to circle back 
to shrimp mm-hmm. uh, because there's there are few seafood markets in this world that are as dynamic and as varied as the shrimp market, just in terms of different species, sizes, forms, origins. Mm-hmm. And we report on all sorts of different things in the shrimp market just about every single day. So as far as what you see going on with the market for Latin American and Asian shrimp, specifically some of the headless shell-on product that we see coming out of those areas, um, it's my understanding that the spread in this market has actually gotten quite high. Sure. So what's going on there, and, and to what can we attribute that spread? So really what we're looking at here is a, is a record price spread between 26, 30-count size shrimp coming from Latin America and Asia. In other words, you have Asian producers farming or raising 26, 30-count size shrimp. You have, and, and these are producers in India, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam. And then you have Latin American producers in Peru, in Ecuador, Mexico, uh, they're all producing 26, 30 count size shrimp, and you know the U.S. is importing these shrimp from from all of these suppliers. But what we've seen is we've seen more 26, 30 count shrimp coming from Asian suppliers versus the Latin American suppliers. What that has created is more availability in the Asian product versus less availability in the Latin American product, and simple supply and demand factors, you know, kind of come into play here. And we've now seen uh, the price spread between the Asian product and Latin American product really widen here. And we're looking at a record price spread between these two products at about a dollar. It's very fascinating, and it just shows that there's a lot of availability of Asian shrimp, and, and there's not a lot of availability of the Latin American shrimp by comparison. And you're seeing you know, a, a very simple supply and demand market trend there. And running in parallel, you know, you mentioned how South America, particularly Ecuador, is a huge producer of shrimp. Head-on shrimp from Ecuador is also a pretty big export of theirs, and one of the largest buyers, it seems, of head-on Ecuadorian shrimp, you have basically Europe and China that buy a lot of that product. Mm -hmm. So there's been some interesting forex dynamics. Uh, Mm -hmm. The foreign exchange markets, we're seeing the Chinese currency a little weaker. We're seeing the euro and the pound go back and forth, and also obviously a strong dollar. So how are those things affecting the market for Ecuadorian head-on shrimp, being that a lot of that product is being sold with a lot of currency risk attached to it? So for the longest time, uh, Ecuador was seeing very robust sales, profitable sales uh, for their shrimp from Chinese buyers. And and we've seen uh, over the last several years that the Chinese market share for Ecuadorian shrimp exports really pick up. In fact, it's well over 50% of the market. The U.S. market share for Ecuadorian shrimp exports is, has declined. Uh, it's under 30% right now. Uh, Europe is second um, at around 30% um, as, an, as another buyer. You know, up until recently, we've seen more Ecuadorian shrimp exports heading to China and, and less heading to, to the U.S., and so in order to replace the, you know, the absence of, of the Ecuadorian product, we've really just seen U.S. buyers go to, go to Asia and, and import more product from India, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Thailand. It's, it's really just been that kind of function. However, you know, as you say, the, the way the foreign exchange markets have trended here, the Chinese have intentionally weakened their currency. And that's actually kind of played against Ecuador being able to export more shrimp to China. We heard reports out of the Qingdao seafood show in China that, you know, shrimp sales were not as robust for Ecuadorian product. It's still a little bit too early to tell if, if that's going to put more Ecuadorian product on the market for, for U.S. buyers. But, you know, in the interim, Erner Berry is reporting some weakness on offers of Ecuadorian 2630 count shrimp, and, and they are reporting some, you know, some sluggish demand. 
Well, hey, great. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, that was some really interesting perspective on the shrimp market. And if you want to track some of the shrimp figures that we do have at Erner Barry, all that information is available on Comtel and with Seafood Price Current. You actually came today with a message about some of the products that we have and a couple of changes that we made to our reports and our sites. We were always busy over here at Erner Barry, and uh, we are actually very happy to launch the new edition of Erna Berry Seafood Price Current. You know, we've given this report uh, a, a huge facelift. First, you know, change I'm sure a lot of uh, our subscribers will note is is the switch from a horizontal uh, landscape kind of setup to a portrait vertical uh, report, which we think makes it a little bit easier to, to read the report. We've structured this report with color-coded changes. You know, it indicates market direction and submitted, a, it includes a linking feature for easy access to Erner Berry's historical data on Comtel. We've also gone ahead and, and updated the report with some additional seafood quotations. We hope that this increases the clarity that to show how these products are behaved in the market and, and how they, you know, reflect uh, updates to certain items that are, are more commonly traded in the market these days. Uh, you know, we're very proud of the report and still going to be released on Tuesdays and Thursdays as it always has. We welcome any feedback to the report, but we're really proud of it. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on the new layout. As you mentioned, we gave it a facelift and that linking feature when you click on a price takes you to a historical chart of that item every single time you click it if you have a Comtel membership. It's so, extremely useful. Absolutely. Very useful. Well, that's all we have time for today. Mike, thanks for being on with us. If you're interested in the seafood markets, be sure to go into your preferred podcasting application and search for Seafood News and find us. You can also type in Erner Barry and find both of our podcasts, Erner Barry's Market Digest, where we talk about red meat, poultry, egg, and other things related to that, and our seafood podcast, where we're going to talk about the seafood market every week. So we hope to see you around, welcome any feedback, and we'll see you again next week.